The Old Testament reading will come from Proverbs 10 and 17. Uh, you don't need to turn there, unless you're already there, you can stay there. Uh, it's just three verses that I'd like to read, and then we will go to 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and that will be our sermon text for today. And, and as you turn there, and as the children uh, go back to their seats, I would encourage you, a congregation, to come to the afternoon service. I would love it if the afternoon service looked just like this one in terms of the attendance. I really would. And I would encourage you, if you haven't tried it, or you know, if it is difficult, I understand it can be difficult, especially if you have little ones, maybe, maybe just give it a shot, you know, see how it goes. I've actually heard from parents of somewhat little ones um, that that afternoon service is very beneficial to their children, to hear a little you know, 15 to 20 minute sermon on the catechism question for the week. Uh, it, it does help the little ones, I think, to put things together. I think it helps all of us. If we would all be honest, I think even the adults would say this is helpful for me too, uh, to put things together. Not to mention the fact that we do pray together as a congregation in that afternoon service. You won't be put on the spot and asked to pray, but if you wish to pray, you may. And it is very, very encouraging, I think, to hear the congregation uh, come before the Lord in prayer in that afternoon service. So we'll break after this service for about 45 minutes. We'll come back in at about 12, uh, 15, and we will have a, a brief worship service again involving catechetical preaching, singing, and corporate prayer. The Old Testament reading does come from Proverbs 10, 12, 17, 9, and verse 17. Here now the reading of God's most holy word. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 17.9 Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 17.17 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Let us go now to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, this is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, his first of two letters. Chapter 13 is a very special chapter. It's known as, as the love chapter. I think it's a very beautiful text and one that we need to consider as, as a congregation this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. I think it was very healthy for me as a pastor to reflect upon the last 10 years in preparation for our little church anniversary celebration last Sunday. That was a very nice day last Sunday. It was good for all of us, I think, to reflect on the last 10 years. It's good for us to pause and reflect on the past from time to time. And it helps us, one, to give thanks to God for His past provision. And two, it should also help us to move on into the future with greater clarity and, and resolve. I think looking back should help us to do both of these things. We, we gave thanks to God last Sunday for His faithfulness to us. And in our consideration of Psalm 146, I encouraged you to make the glory, honor, and praise of God your highest aim as we move on into the future. 
Live for the glory of God, brothers and sisters. That was the charge. Seek first the advancement of His kingdom. If we are to use the language of kingdom, that, that would be the charge. Seek first the advancement of His kingdom. Love God supremely. And this Sunday, I wish to deliver another charge to the congregation regarding our future life together. And it is simply this. Brothers and sisters, be resolved to love one another. Do not forget that if we have not love, we are nothing. This is the warning that the Apostle Paul delivered to the church in Corinth in verses 1-3 through of our text for today. I want you to hear it again. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing." So Paul was concerned, evidently, for the church in Corinth. They were preoccupied with their speech gifts, with their knowledge, and with their religious devotion, but they were lacking in love for one another. And so Paul delivered this this very stern warning to them. You're preoccupied with all of these things. In fact, you're, you're rather prideful about these things, these speech gifts that you have, this great knowledge that you have, this great faith that you have, even your religious devotion. But do not forget, brothers and sisters, Paul said to them, if, if you do not have love, you're nothing at all. All of that that you boast in, it, it's, it's nothing. You're empty. Uh, Paul's point is this. Even if I were the most gifted linguist, able to speak eloquently in multiple languages. Yes, even the language of angels. Now, it is not possible to speak in the language of angels, but but hypothetically speaking, that that is the language that Paul is using here. Even if I could speak in the language of angels, if I'm lacking in love, I'm nothing. Without love, my eloquent words will be like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. They will be empty words. They will be nothing more than fruitless noise. I think this is a very powerful image that Paul delivers to us. And I think you've found this to be true in life. Someone may lack eloquence, but if you know they love you, their words are powerful, sweet, and pleasant to your ears. But the words of an eloquent person who proves to have no love in his heart for you, no sincerity, no truth, those words, even if they are very eloquent, become an annoyance to you. And that is Paul's point. To put, the matter, to put the matter very bluntly, Paul wrote to the Corinthians who were so puffed up with pride regarding their speech gifts and said, forget about your eloquence. Forget about your linguistic skills. Forget about these spiritual gifts that you have received from God. They are nothing at all. They are just noise if you lack love. He continues with the same theme in verse 2 saying, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So so here Paul addresses another source of pride within the Corinthian church, and that is their faith and their knowledge. He had addressed these issues earlier in his letter, but he brings them up again here in his love chapter, saying, in my words, you think so highly of yourself because of your ability to prophesy, your insight into the mystery of Christ, your knowledge and your strong faith, but again... It's all empty without love. It's all empty. And in verse 3, Paul addresses yet another source of pride. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Here Paul says that extreme religious devotion, devotion even to the point of martyrdom, is nothing without love. I wonder if you're beginning to see Paul's point here. Uh, He is teaching that These gifts and graces are in fact good gifts and graces. Being gifted in speech is good. Having knowledge is good. Having strong faith is good. And being willing to give up your possessions, yes, even your own life for the sake of Christ, is good. These are all very good things. But what is Paul's point? If love is lacking, then we are nothing, even if we possess all of these other qualities. And it's not hard to see why this is so. If there is no love in the heart, then it reveals that our speech, no matter how eloquent our knowledge, no matter how deep our faith, no matter how strong, 
and our devotion to Christ, no matter how extreme, it's merely superficial without love. It's merely superficial. And brothers and sisters, we know that the church in Corinth had its issues. It had many issues, in fact. One of their issues was that they were evidently prideful about the gifts and graces they had received from God, and they were lacking in love for one another. But I wonder, can you see that the same danger confronts us? Can you see how easy it would be for us to grow prideful concerning the gifts and graces that God has given to us, and to fail to truly love one another in Christ Jesus? As I reflected upon the past ten years, I was moved to give thanks to God for His kindness to us. I, I do think that we as a congregation have grown strong in some important ways. I'm amazed at how God has preserved the unity of this church as we have grown together in our understanding of Christian doctrine. Have you thought of that? The Lord has preserved us with great unity, and we have grown tremendously in our understanding of Christian doctrine. I, I ask you to go back and read that church book again that we produced, and to see how we have grown in our understanding of biblical doctrine. Consider the things we have studied together over the past ten years. It's been truly wonderful, hasn't it? I think it has. I think we are much stronger than we used to be in this regard. But I might ask you this, is there pride in your heart regarding this grace that the Lord has shown to us? I hope there is not. To quote Paul from earlier in his letter to the Corinthians, he asked them, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? That's a great question, isn't it? So there you are, a church in Corinth, and you're so proud of the spiritual gifts that you have. You're so proud of your knowledge. You're so proud of your extreme devotion. And you boast. But why are you boasting? Every one of these good qualities that you possess was a gift. God gave it to you. It didn't come from you. God gave it to you. So why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And so we must be on guard against the sin of pride, brothers and sisters. As we move on into the future together, we must be on guard against the sin of pride. And one of the greatest remedies to the sin of pride is the understanding that whatever good thing we have is a gift from God. There is no room for boasting, therefore. And what about love? Without love, we are nothing. That is the point of the text we are considering. Do we have love for one another? Are we remaining in our love for one another and even increasing in it with the passing of time? You're probably thinking, well, why are you confronting us with this, Pastor? Do you think there is a problem here at Emmaus? Do you think that we are presently lacking in love for one another? And in fact, I do not. My honest opinion is that our love for one another is strong here in this congregation. Uh, can it grow stronger? Of course it can. But our love for one another has been strong in the past. I think it continues to be. My concern, though, is that we do not lose what we have. What I am saying to you this morning is that we cannot afford to lose our love for one another, brothers and sisters. We must work very hard to maintain it. We must even grow in our love for one another in the years to come. And I want for you to understand that this will not simply happen. It won't. We must be very intentional. We must be very deliberate about all of this. We must make the effort. Loving one another is something we must choose to do. And it's hard work in a way. It's joyous work. It's wonderful work. It's fruitful work. But it is hard work. We must work on loving one another in Christ Jesus. You've probably noticed that everything in this world is prone to decay. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Everything in this world is prone to decay. Gravity is always pulling down on things. Uh, the sun, though it gives life, does also cause things to fade and to decay with the passing of time. And if things are to last in this world, they must be maintained constantly. This is true of the physical world, uh, certainly you see it all around you. Things must be maintained if they are to last. But this is also true of our emotional and our spiritual life and our life together. It's true of love. If love is to last and if love is to increase, it is something that we must work hard at. It's something that we must maintain in Christ Jesus. So Christians must keep their own hearts pure. 
Parents must keep the home pure. Pastors must keep the church pure. And yes, this applies to worship. It applies to doctrine. It it applies to the discipline of the church. That is all true. But it also applies to the fellowship that we enjoy with one another. Our love for one another must be maintained, brothers and sisters. And to quote the letter to the Hebrews, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you hear the exhortation there? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's clear. This is something we will need to do. We will need to assemble together as, as the church. On the Lord's Day we are to gather And one of the things we are to do when we are together here in this setting or even in other settings, we're to stir one another up. We're to agitate one another in a good way, of course, to love and good works. We're to exhort and encourage one another in Christ Jesus. So this is one of the things that we are to do whenever we assemble. Not only are we to learn, not only are we to grow stronger in the faith, we are also to stir up one another to love and good works. If, if you read the scriptures and look for this theme, you will notice that the theme of love is everywhere. Jesus spoke to his disciples, saying, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So, what is the Lord concerned with? Is he concerned that we have and maintain pure doctrine here in the church? Oh, yes, he's concerned with that. Is he concerned that we have religious devotion, that we are committed to Christ, faithful to the end, even being willing to suffer persecution? Of course, he's concerned with that. Is he concerned for the purity of the church, that we follow the scriptures in regard to church discipline? Of course, he's concerned with that. But Christ seems to also be concerned with this. He speaks to his disciples saying, love one another. It's so very important that we love one another, therefore. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome saying, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I'm wanting you to see Paul, who was so strong in doctrine, was also so concerned to see the church grow in their love for one another, loving one another from the heart and even in practical ways, showing hospitality to one another is where he concludes that passage. And Peter wrote to Christians saying, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, he says. And lastly, consider the words of the Apostle John. Beloved, he addresses the Christian congregation. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Do you see the emphasis that is placed upon this, brothers and sisters? We cannot forget it, that love is so important in the Christian congregation. A church that is doctrinally sound, but lacking in love is dead. Do you realize that? Do we need to be doctrinally sound? Of course we do. It's very important that we are doctrinally sound. But we cannot neglect love. A church that is doctrinally sound but lacking in love is dead. To bring it close to home, it is very possible for a church to fully subscribe to the Second London Confession of Faith, to excel in the knowledge of the truth and in the ability to talk about the truth, and yet to be toxic to the point of death because love is lacking. That is possible. And we must guard against it, brothers and sisters. Do you remember the words that Christ spoke to the church in Ephesus? In that vision that John saw, as recorded in Revelation 2, remember how there were seven churches? Christ was seen walking in the midst of the lampstands, and then words were delivered to each one of these seven churches. But to Ephesus, this is what Christ had to say, the words of Him who holds the seven stars in His right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands, and I quote, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. 
But I have this against you, Jesus says, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And what a sobering warning this was. Ephesus was strong in doctrine. They were valiant for the truth. They contended for the faith as they confronted the false teachers in their midst. They even suffered persecution, I think. And this was good for them. Uh, This was commended. This was a true strength of theirs. But the warning is very firm. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. So remember where you've fallen from and, and, and make it right again. Uh, increase now in your love for one another. And the warning is that Christ will remove the lampstand from its place unless they repent. So this can happen, brothers and sisters. A churches with sound doctrine can lose their love for one another. And when they do, it is a very serious thing. And as I look back on the last ten years, I see that we have grown stronger in doctrine, thanks be to God. But again, do not forget, without love we are nothing. As I look back on the last ten years, I see that we have grown stronger in our worship. Thanks be to God, we approach the worship of God with greater reverence than we did before. But remember this, without love we are nothing. Another thing that we have grown in is our appreciation for and devotion to what are called the ordinary means of grace. I wonder, do you know what these are? Um, Instead of being a church very busy with lots of special programs, etc., we have grown to know and believe that God works very powerfully in His people through ordinary things, the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, through prayer, through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper and fellowship. And I'm so very happy that we as a congregation are devoted to these simple and ordinary things and that we have the faith to believe that God will work through these things that He has identified as He sees fit But again, remember this. Without love, we are nothing. We can come in here and conduct just a a pristine worship service, you know. Um, The Word of God can be faithfully preached. We can uh, approach the Lord's table and, and technically do it very right, you know, just perfectly so. But think of how dead our church would be if while we hear the Word of God preached and as we approach the Lord's table we have no love in our hearts for one another. Without love, we are nothing. Over the past 10 years, we've also been faithful to do church discipline. Formal church discipline is hard, isn't it? I think you would all agree with that. It's hard work. It's important work. We have seen how good it is for the body of Christ and even for the professing Christian who is stuck in sin. But remember this, brothers and sisters, without love, we are nothing. And I could go on and on. But I think you are able to see clearly what I'm trying to warn against. It would be very, very sad for me to see Emmaus continue to grow strong in doctrine, in purity of worship, in devotion to the ordinary means of grace, to be faithful and disciplined, and yet to lack in love. What an awful church that would be. It would be a miserable church to be a part of, wouldn't it? Even with all of these strengths, if love is lacking, it would be a a terrible place to be. In fact, it would reveal that we do not really believe the doctrines that we claim to believe. For these truths, if believed in the mind and heart, will surely increase our love for God and for one another. And it would also reveal that we do not truly love God or the Savior He has provided if love is lacking. For those who love God in Christ will also love the brethren. As Christ said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is my leading exhortation to you this morning. Continue to grow in your knowledge of the truth and in your devotion to God and to the things of God. But do not forget the warning of the Apostle. If we have not love, we are nothing. Now, in verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, the love that Paul demands is described. And this is a very beautiful passage. It's a very famous passage because of its beauty Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is helpful. Paul first demands that we love one another in the church. 
But now he describes that love to us, lest we be confused about what love is. And it would probably be best to begin by noting what love is not. The love that Paul demands is not an emotion. In other words, Paul does not here teach that Christians must feel a certain way towards one another. Rather, he's concerned that we treat one another in certain ways. These are all verbs, you will notice. Love is patient and kind, etc. Now, this does not mean that the heart and emotions are uninvolved. In fact, much of what Paul describes here does clearly emanate from the heart. It starts there. And from the heart, these qualities are produced. Love does not envy, he says. Envy happens in the mind and in the heart. And in verse 5 he says, love is not irritable or resentful. These things manifest themselves in, the, in actions, but they begin in the heart. And so clearly these are heart issues. So when I say that the love that Paul describes here is not an emotion, I mean it is not merely emotional love. True love emanates from the heart and manifests itself in action. That is the point. And I do feel that I have to say this because love is so terribly misunderstood in our day. Yes, we're to love one another from the heart, but this heart love is to be shown in word and in deed. So listen to Paul's description of love. And as you do, feel free to apply it to all kinds of relationships. You know, we can take this passage and we could apply it as husbands and wives, as parents, as children, as friends. Uh, All of these People might take this passage and apply it to their relationships. But do not forget that Paul is writing to the church here. Uh, This is his leading concern, that Christians would love one another in this way, in the context of the local church. That is what he is teaching. Love is patient, Paul says. To be patient is to persevere through difficulty. And so few are willing to do that in our day. Instead, men and women will cut one another off when challenges arise. And challenges will arise in our relationships, brothers and sisters. You know that, don't you? I hope you are not naive. When you join a church, when you get to know the members of a congregation, sometimes it will be difficult. Challenges will arise. Mark my words. But if we love one another truly, we will be patient with one another. We will stick with one another through difficulties. That is the meaning of the word here. The New King James Version brings out this meaning a little bit better by saying, love suffers long. I like that. Love is patient. In other words, love suffers long. So yes, a patient person will not snip at others when annoyed. That is usually what we think of when we hear the word patient, isn't it? But the word patient is richer than that. The one who is patient is willing to suffer long. They will not cut others off at every offense or when challenges arise within the relationship. Are you devoted to this, brothers and sisters? Are you devoted to one another in this way? Do you love one another in this way to where you will be patient and long-suffering with one another? Where you will be willing to be wounded by someone in the church and to not cut them off because of the offense? Love is kind, Paul says. And what comes to mind when you hear the word kind except someone who is tender-hearted, caring, sympathetic, and gentle. And no, this does not mean that there is never a time for firm confrontation or rebuke. Other scripture texts, even from Paul, say that there is a time for that. But I want you to think of it. There is a big difference between receiving a rebuke or correction from a hate-filled and hard-hearted person and receiving correction from one who is loving and kind. The rebuke might sound exactly the same, but it will be received in a completely different way. So love, brothers and sisters. Be kind always. Be that person, you know. Be that kind person. And I do trust that if you ever have to rebuke another, it will be best received if the person knows you love them and have their best interest in mind. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy, says Proverbs 26, 5 through 6. What is the meaning there? You know, it's good to be rebuked by a friend. Someone that you know loves you and cares about you. That that is good. But but kisses from an enemy, even if they're profuse, they're off-putting, they're distasteful. So love is patient and love is kind. Next we read, love does not envy. We talked about the danger of envy when we consider the tenth commandment in the afternoon worship service not long ago thou shall not covet 
the Tenth Commandment says. And what is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? Answer, the Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor, and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. That is what our Catechism says to the question, what is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? We are to see that envy, covetousness, and discontentment are very deadly sins of the heart. And they are toxic to relationships, especially relationships within the church. The one who is envious, covetous, and discontent, here is what I want you to see. They are really self-centered. Think of it and you'll see that it is true. The envious person looks at others and the good they have and thinks, I want that for myself, and if I have it, then I will be satisfied. Whereas the one who loves does not live for their own good, for their own satisfaction, but rather for the good of others. Love and envy are like oil and water, therefore. They are contradictory things. To love is to live for the good of others. That's the theme that you're going to hear coming out of this sermon and the remainder of it. What does it mean to love? It means to live for the good of others, to be all about that. Whereas to envy, or to be covetous, discontent, uh, it is self-love. To be envious, covetous, and discontent, uh, it can only reside in the heart of a, of a heart consumed with, with self-love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, Ephesians 5.25 says. I read that text now because the love that Christ showed to us is, is here defined. Christ loved the church by doing what? Giving Himself up for her. That is the essence of Christ's love. He, he loved the church. He came to give Himself up for others. And if we are to truly love, we must have that same disposition. We are to live not for our own pleasure, for our own good, but for the good of others. And some of you may be miserable because you have not learned to love in this way, but are consumed with self-love instead. So love does not envy, and neither does it boast. It is not arrogant or rude. This further confirms what I've just said about the real problem being self-love or self-centeredness. What does the boaster do? What does the boaster do? He or she wishes to draw attention to themselves so as to build up and exalt themselves and the eyes of others. You can picture it, right? The boaster doing that very thing. Talks a big talk, draws attention to their accomplishments, wishes to make themselves seem important in the eyes of others. To be arrogant is to be puffed up with pride or inflated. The most important thing to an arrogant boaster is image. Image is everything for a me monster. But those who truly love will not have an appetite for boasting, for they find their fulfillment in building others up, not themselves. The one who has love in their heart, true love in their heart, will find their true fulfillment, their true satisfaction in blessing others. They don't even think of boasting, because they don't wish to draw attention to themselves, but to bless others with their words, to build them up, you see. That is their pleasure, But the arrogant boaster will, in fact, take every opportunity to use their words to build themselves up. And arrogant, boastful people will also be rude. Rude people act rudely, uh, that is to say, in an unbecoming or shameful manner, in order to get their way and to maintain their position of superiority over others. Really, rudeness is simply a manipulative tactic. That's what it is. You've all seen it, haven't you? Uh, Three-year-olds sometimes do it, and and I don't wish to offend the three-year-olds in the audience at all, but three-year-olds will act rudely. They will throw a tantrum. They will act in an unbecoming manner. Um, When the big people in their lives aren't serving them as they think they should be served, right? So you see it in in really little children. They want something. Maybe they're frustrated because they can't communicate. We'll give them that benefit of the doubt. There's some natural frustration in them. But they want something. They're not getting it. And so they're rude. They throw a tantrum. So little ones do it. But big people do this too. 60-year-olds will sometimes throw temper tantrums of their own. It looks different, of course. But they will act 
rudely towards others, sometimes for a long period of time. And why do they do it? It's in order to get their own way. They, they want to get their own way. Do you see the theme of self-centeredness coming out again and again in this list here? That's really what this is about. You know, I want everyone to know that everything is about me. You know? So the arrogant, prideful, boastful person will act rudely. But the one who has love in their heart isn't going to be concerned about themselves. They'll be concerned about the good of others. In fact, uh, this is what Paul addresses next. He says, love does not insist on its own way. You see, love does not insist on its own way. So all of this fits together. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. And I want for you to consider here just how messed up we are by nature due to sin. We're very twisted. Many in this world do sincerely believe that they will be most happy and satisfied in this life if they live life for themselves. That's how so many people in this world live. They think, I will be happy and satisfied if I get what's mine, if I get all that I can, if I live for myself, for my own pleasure. But what do they find when they do this? They find themselves to be truly miserable people. And so I'll ask you this question. Do you wish to be truly miserable in this life? If so, then live for yourself. Live for yourself. Insist on your own way. Live for your own comfort, your own pleasure, your own prosperity. Expect others to serve you. Demand that they meet your needs and do as you wish. And if they dare come short of it, if they disrespect you somehow, if they let you down, if they fail to make you the center of their universe, then be sure to make them pay for it. Be sure to do that. Be rude to them. Give them the cold shoulder. Speak to them harshly. Employ all of your manipulative tactics until they learn the lesson that everything is about you. If you wish to be truly miserable in this life and for all eternity, then live that way. Insist on your own way. But if you wish to be blessed, then go in the opposite direction. Die to yourself daily and even momentarily. Serve others and love as Christ loved. He gave Himself up for the church, remember. He washed the feet of His disciples. He bled and died in our place. And I am saying to you that this is the way of love and this is the way to life everlasting. This is how we come to have abundant life. We've all experienced this, I think. We know what it is like to be inconvenienced by someone and then to respond with a bad attitude, to go in the wrong way with it. Honey, would you mind doing the dishes? You know, have you ever heard that before? Honey, you can fill it in your own mind, whether it's the husband asking the wife or the wife asking the husband. You know, honey, would you mind doing the dishes? And then we sigh. And we might do them, but we sulk while we do them. We clank the dishes around really hard to make sure everyone in the house knows that we're displeased with having to do the dishes. You're looking at me. You don't do this? And it's like, what are you talking about? I've never had that problem before. Okay. Maybe it's just me. You know. And guess what? When, when you have done that or something like that, maybe it's not the dishes, you go about that work and if you're to be honest, you are miserable while you do it. You are miserable and everybody else around you is miserable. And of course, having a bad attitude about the dishes, it's a silly example. But here's what I want you to see. Some people live their whole life in this way. Some people live their whole life in this way. They don't even know it, but this is what they do. They're all about themselves. They're all about having it their own way. They may seem to be all about others in some settings. But again, this is only to maintain their image. Really, they are about themselves, and they are miserable. And I'll say to you what I say to my boys from time to time. Don't be that guy. That's how I raise my boys. Don't be that guy, you know. Love instead. And love does not insist on its own way, the text says. After this, we learn that love is not irritable. 
And again, I hope that you're seeing the connections. If you are all about yourself, insisting on your own way in the mind and the heart, then when things do not go your way, you will naturally be irritated. You will naturally be irritated. So, I'll ask you this. Do you feel irritated all the time? And I suppose there can be many reasons for that. Perhaps some things need to change in your life. Maybe you're too busy. Maybe you're not getting enough sleep. Perhaps it would be good to look at diet and to consider exercise. Yes, human beings are complex creatures. I totally understand that. But do not forget to look at your heart, brothers and sisters. If you find yourself constantly irritated, do not forget to look at your heart. It may be that you are irritable, that is, upset and agitated inside, because you are self-centered in some way. You want things to go your way. You have many expectations for others, therefore. You wish to be served, or maybe you wish to be left alone. And you grow agitated when you're not. And so I'm simply urging you, brothers and sisters, to check your heart. Try to get out of bed prayerfully, with a mindset of a servant, rather than the mindset of a master. Make loving and serving those around you your focus. Of course, the worldly person will listen to what I've just said and, and think, that's ridiculous. But the godly know that this is the way to life abundant. There is tremendous freedom and joy found in this way of living. To wake up every day with the mindset of a servant instead of the mindset of, uh, uh, of a master. You know, I think so many people get out of bed in the morning and think, what do I want to happen today? And I wonder what others will do for me. And then they're irritated when someone comes short of it. But when you get out of bed and you think, I wonder what I can do for others today. How could you ever be irritated by other people? You know, Because you have that mindset of, of a servant. Those who are in Christ know that when we lay down our life, we find it. Love is not irritable because the one who loves lives not to be served, but to serve. Now I should offer this brief clarification before going on. In all of this talk of living for the good of others, I am not denying that people do need time for themselves. Rest, relaxation, recreation, these are all important things. And God knows this, and this, that is one reason that He gave us the gift of the Sabbath day. Jesus Himself modeled this. He lived His life for the good of others. He laid down His life for our sins. But He did often retreat from the crowds with His disciples to commune with the Father and to be refreshed. So no, I'm not saying that you should work and serve continuously with no thought at all for your own physical and spiritual well-being. That's not the point that I'm here making. Instead, I'm talking about mindset. What is your mindset? Are you all about yourself in the mind and in the heart? Or are you all about others? The one who loves will be all about living for God's glory and the good of others. And even when they rest, they rest. Why? So that they might better serve God and others. Having been rejuvenated by the Lord. Even when they rest, they rest with the heart of a servant. Love is not irritable. And neither is it resentful. To be resentful is to keep a record of wrongs committed against you. Now, that is how the NIV translates the word. Love keeps no record of wrongs, it says. The NASB renders it this way. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. I think that's helpful. The one who loves is willing to let things go. It is true that we might not be able to forget a wrong committed against us. But we do all have the ability to forget in the sense of extending true forgiveness to others and not bringing the matter up again or holding the wrong committed against the person. The one who is resentful will do this though. They will remember wrongs and they will perpetually hold those wrongs against others in their life. They will refuse to forgive. They will harbor bitterness in the heart towards others. And I think they should carefully consider the words of Christ, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, that is a stern warning, isn't it? And of course it is rooted in this principle that if we have been forgiven by God in Christ Jesus, then we also ought to forgive those who have sinned against us. As I say this, I'm mindful of those who have struggled with abusive and highly 
manipulative relationships. The scriptures do not teach that you must continuously run back to the abuser or a manipulator every time they say sorry. Please understand that. And this subject that I'm here addressing is beyond the scope of this sermon. I would say please speak to me personally if you'd like some help working through this issue. But for now I will say that it is possible to forgive from the heart and to be free from resentment while at the same time maintaining healthy boundaries with proven abusers and manipulators. So even those who have experienced abusive relationships must still apply what is said here. We must not be consumed by the sin of bitterness. We must keep no record of wrong. I suppose we would be here all day if I qualified and clarified everything that Paul says in this passage, and really I think it would detract from the simplicity and beauty of the text. It's really, it's really very simple. Christians must love. Christians must love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Now we read, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I think the meaning is this. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing in the sense of injustice. The Greek word carries that meaning, and it seems to fit the context. The unloving, envious, arrogant, boastful, self-centered, and self-serving me monster loves to see those who do not serve their interests fall. That's what they love. You're not going to serve my interests? Well, I would love to see you fall. And he does not care if it is unjust, that their downfall is unjust. But the one who loves takes no pleasure in wrongdoing, in injustice, but instead the one who loves rejoices with the truth. Paul's description of love concludes with this marvelous line. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As it pertains to our love for one another, brothers and sisters, I think this should be our motto. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love bears all things. The word translated as bears means to put up with annoyance or difficulty. And so, no, Paul does not say that love ignores sin or is never confrontational. Rather, those who love are going to put up with one another. So do this, brothers and sisters. Put up with one another. They will persevere and endure in the relationship despite difficulties. Those who love will not easily cut others off for minor offenses. And to state it differently, those who love will have thick skin. They will be patient, that is to say, long-suffering. Love believes all things. I think this requires us to think the best of people, and especially of one another in Christ Jesus. We must believe all things. We must do this. We must think the best of people. And again, no, this does not mean that we are to be naive and gullible, but it does mean that we must be careful not to grow jaded as Christians. And this could be a real problem for churches, for ministers, and for members alike. If you hang around the church for a long enough time and actually get to know people, you'll quickly realize that we aren't in heaven yet, are we? We're not. We're not in heaven yet. We're sojourning, and those in Christ are being sanctified, and we know that sanctification is a process It has been a process for you. It's been a process for everyone else. This is simply the reality of things. And everyone is kind of messy, right? And some are messier than others. Because they're beginning in their sanctification process. And so do not grow jaded, but rather think the best of others. Start there. Love believes all things. Start there. Yes, There are wolves in sheep's clothing. Yes, there are false professors in the church. Yes, some will apostatize from the faith. That is all true. And so we are not to be naive, but don't grow jaded either. I want for you to think of how devastating it would be to the life of church if we begin to view everyone with suspicion. Think of what that would do to us. If we began to view everyone with suspicion, it would crush us. It would hinder our ability to love one another. Love believes all things. And you should know that your elders are committed to this. The elders of this church have seen some things over the past ten years. We've encountered some highly manipulative people. And in reality, you probably don't know the half of it. 
But we are resolved together to think the best of people. For we can see the danger of growing jaded and suspicious towards others. We've talked about this even recently. We've got to start here. We've got to believe all things. For how could we possibly minister to saints who are being sanctified if we think the worst of them from the start? Instead, we are to believe all things and, to use another phrase, we are to trust and then verify. That has been a phrase we've used, in fact, from time to time. And really, this is a faith issue. We need to trust the Lord that He will protect us and provide the wisdom and discernment that we need as we seek to love others faithfully. Love hopes all things. Our hope is in God and in Christ, but here the hope has reference to the good that God will work in our lives and in the lives of others. So we're on this journey together. We're being sanctified, and we need to be hopeful that the Lord is going to grant us repentance. He's going to grant us, uh, he's going to grant us success. We will be further sanctified. We will mature in Christ Jesus. Love hopes all things. And then lastly, love endures all things. And so we see that Paul ends where he began in his description of love with a theme of patience or endurance. The words are different, but the meaning is very similar. Love is patient, he said at the start. That is, it bears up under difficulty. And now he says, love endures all things. And endurance is the thing that we need. If we have any chance at loving one another sincerely and over a long period of time, we need endurance. And so I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, bear with one another. Be willing to work through major offenses. Be willing to let minor offenses go. Forgive one another. Clear the air. Pray for one another. Be gracious and kind to one another, just as God has been gracious and kind to us in Christ Jesus. I'll use the last portion of this text to rather quickly bring this sermon to a conclusion. In verse 13, Paul says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. He identifies love as the greatest because love, unlike faith and hope, will last forever and ever, that is, on into eternity. And that is his argument in verses 8 through 12. There are some things that we do in this life that we will not do in the life to come. Did you realize that? The, gift, the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge will all pass away in the life to come. Why? Because we will see God face to face in the new heavens and new earth. We will know Him perfectly. We will not have faith in the new heavens and earth, at least not in the same way that we have faith now. For now our faith looks forward to the consummation, but then our faith will be fulfilled. And the same is true for hope. Hope is forward-looking, isn't it? But in the new heavens and earth, we will no longer hope, for all of our hopes will be realized. They will be fulfilled. But here is the one thing we will do in the new heavens and earth. We will love. We will still love. We will love God for all eternity, and we will love one another also. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And brothers and sisters, let us be sure to love one another faithfully. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, help us in this. Help us to love one another in this church just as we have been loved by you. You've been so gracious and kind. You've been long-suffering. You are faithful, Lord. Help us to have these same qualities as our own. So, Father, strengthen us in this regard. I pray that you would strengthen us in other ways, too. Now, this is not the only thing we must do, but this is certainly such an important thing. Lord, so help us to love one another, knowing that without love, we are nothing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.